the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. To be honest with you, I'm not sure how to start this podcast. This was a project that uh, Richard and I were supposed to work on together. And the last time Richard and I spoke, it was about making plans to meet in Ljubljana. Richard had this ambitious idea of riding his bike from Trieste to Budapest for the start of the Giro collecting interviews and stories along the way, and I was supposed to serve as a kind of cultural liaison, uh, supplying what I was researching on Slovenian history and culture. We were supposed to see each other in Ljubljana. He was supposed to be the one to finally crack the ice of Simon Spilak, the Slovene master of the Swiss races, which no other journalist has and probably never could ever do. And after Richard was gone, um, not long before we were supposed to meet, like this vacuum opened up in um, so many ways. And I um, still remain pretty sad that Richard couldn't set his you know, narrative and journalistic eye on Slovenia and on its rich literature and art and on you know, the terrain of its valleys and hills. And I didn't have much time to plan anything nearly on the scale of what Richard was planning. Uh, and his shoes are impossible uh, for me to fill. Uh, I've never even made a podcast before. <laughs> Richard was the one who did all of the work. But when the cycling podcast told me I could still do this project, it became for me something I did for and in the memory of Richard, who I miss um, immensely. Uh, to travel in a country alone is a certain pleasure. But to travel with a friend is a pleasure unmatched. I only had a week or two, even though and while I was still grieving to, to prepare this massive thing, uh, I, I pulled out like every connection I had in order to make the best podcast possible and you know, not having a car or a license or the fitness to ride across the country like Richard uh, most of my work is centered around the Viana and yeah Richard he used to call me the the Roglitch whisperer which I always thought was a little weird and I kind of didn't like it but now you know <laughs> it's I kind of take it that nickname in stride and kind of kind of makes me laugh uh, and smile uh, and I managed to find I think my biggest heist here is that I managed to find 15 minutes in person one on one with Roglic on some pretty short notice uh, and I also got to visit with Matej Mohoric at his race named after him uh, and I met Yanni Brakovic in a suburban McDonald's and slowly yeah a, a program emerged the past to the present and future of cycling in Slovenia. In a single week, I went to two races uh, for juniors to see behind the scenes just how popular cycling is in Slovenia and to meet some of its newest practitioners. I traveled with Pogi team to Italy and got race reports from Tate Pogacar's prodigies. 
Uh, I met with current stars, journalists who have been covering the sport since the 90s, historians, ex-professionals from the earliest days of an independent Slovenia, and more. Uh, I pulled out all the stops as quickly as I could, and when I came back to America, I was left with more questions that I came back to Slovenia to answer. Uh, I learned fun facts, like the fact that the president of Ljubljana's first ever cycling club later became mayor of the city, and that the world's oldest wheel was discovered in the swamps of Ljubljana. And I kept some narrations of my travels, tried to sprinkle this uh, accord, if you will, with uh, some poetry, literature, and art history in a way that isn't cheesy. Uh, all in all, I tried to do Richard proud, um, but also Slovenia, a place which I love immensely and to which I've devoted my own cycling journalism career. I hope to do that place proud, too. Uh, I hope you don't mind my American accent too much. I truly wish it was a soft Scottish brogue that I would give anything to hear again and to tell me that I'm worrying too much, which I am, and I hope you enjoy what it is I've managed to put together. And I hope you visit Slovenia for yourself so you can see what all the fuss is about. At night, crucially after it rains, Viana smells like petrichor. Uh, it's a metallic smell, futuristic and somehow clean. The Ljubljanica River cuts through the city like a slit, like a black silk ribbon dragging rain's detritus with it, distinctly moving. Bats scatter about, sweeping beneath the arches of bridges, swallowing the spring insects noiselessly. All light is reflected on the water like candles lit in hopeful vigil for tomorrow's sun which will burn through the valley fog. Now, after the tourists have gone to bed, I'm standing on the Dragon Bridge, guarded by Art Nouveau statues of the eponymous symbols of Ljubljana, their tongues extending as though threatening fire. I'm looking up at the castle atop a hill that arises out of nowhere as though the ground were pinched and pulled upwards by a pair of giant fingers. There are lots of things one can describe about this city. The sugary smell of the market in Pogacar Square, no relation, the clamor as workers pack it away for next weekend. The post-last-call meanderings of slender young men, their voices raising in a chorus of jeers. Those soft, shuffled, Slavic vowels taking on a rough gutturalness with drink. Someone is singing to themselves. The famous living architect Jozef Plechnitz arcade leans over the river and wait for commerce. Stately and colonnaded and well-hewn like all great architecture with a century or so on it, closer to two. The statue of the poet Franz Preschen looks stately and grim in front of the fanciful pink of the Franciscan church, all curly cues and Baroque affect. This is Liana at 11.30 at night, in the peripheral, the sound of accordion. The Cycling Podcast Powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Super Sapiens is the cycling podcast title sponsors and supports all of our shows. And Super Sapiens have recently announced a couple of partnerships with World Tour teams. Extending their partnership with Jumbo Visma, which has been running since 2020. And also signing up with SD Works. Now, Anna van der Bregen, who was an Olympic gold medalist and two-time world road race champion, 
in her racing days of course was an early adopter of super sapiens technology and now that she is a sports director at sd works she's been instrumental in signing the team up with super sapiens to monitor the riders glucose levels in real time when training and preparing and to give the riders that insight into how their bodies respond to not just food and fueling but also stress of racing and traveling uh, the excitement and adrenaline rush of competition or even altitude because all of those things can have an impact on energy levels and blood glucose levels so team sd works one of the latest to sign up with super sapiens if you'd like to find out more go to supersapiens.com Reading books changes the way one views a place. For me, Ljubljana was given a new life through literature. And when I was far away, thinking of this place, I filled the time with books. Perhaps the most rich fictional text on the city's life is that of Lojka Kovacic's Newcomers Trilogy, which is something Richard actually recommended to me, and his taste is excellent as always. The three novels document in a semi-autobiographical way the life and the difficult assimilation of a Swiss-born Slovene boy named Bubi as his family is deported to Slovenia just as Europe is about to be plunged into the horror of World War II. There is a scene very early in the first volume I remember quite well, which is when Bubi first gets off the train with his family in Ljubljana. There he sees the Ljubljana castle for the first time. And there are so many electric lights, which were still quite new back then, illuminating it, that he thinks that the castle is made out of glass. And I'll, I'll just read this passage real quick. The light made us as visible as though it were day. It saturated the sidewalk and transfixed us like the side of a Christmas tree. The glass castle had a tower and a long main building. No windows were visible. It hung in a cloud. Did it float like the moon? What kept it up there? Was there just air between it and the city? I didn't want to risk asking questions or they might drag me away. Even my button, the anchor, my whole blue navy coat from Basel was saturated with this topaz yellow light as though it were changing. The street that we saw the glass palace through seemed wrapped in a flannel darkness. Between its tall buildings, there were lamps that shone in a line going all the way down. It is impossible to do anything but just stand and stare. I mean, this is an accurate description. The castle really is like this at night. It's kind of the central landmark of the city. And it does seemingly disappear into the night sky. And save for the blaze of light trailing down from one side of the hill, which is in the form of the funicular, which takes tourists up to the top. The novel, though, is not really the primary vehicle of Slovenian literature and wouldn't be its main literary export until the 20th century because Slovenia is a nation of poets. The square of its capital is watched over not by like a military general or by some ancient ruler or occupier, of which there were many, but by a poet, Franz Preschen, who was responsible for, among other things, the text that became Slovenia's national anthem. And there's another famous poem, Povodny uh, Mosh, which tackles a folktale about a beautiful girl named Urska who is lured into the Ljubljana by a water spirit after which she drowns. And so the long story short is you really do not want to swim in the Ljubljana. <laughs> but anyway, my favorite poet, Srečka Kosovel, paints a more blasé picture of the city, which is also kind of one of my favorite depictions of it because everyone goes really does go to sleep at like 11 p.m. at the latest. He writes, Ljubljana is asleep. The train conductor is asleep. In the Europa Cafe, the reading Slovensky Narod, the clicking of billiard balls. Anyway, 
With a country as old as this one, or any European country, it is difficult, if not impossible, to give any kind of concise explanation of its history. It would also be pretty arrogant of me to try. Slovenia, whether in some or in its parts, was once under the occupation of several of Europe's most famous and sometimes terrible imperialists. That includes the Romans, the Polian, the Habsburgs, the Italian fascists, and the Nazis, just to name a few. And then there's the tricky question of both Yugoslavias, both the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, through which Slovenia was first liberated from Austrian rule in 1918, and of course Socialist Yugoslavia, which dissolved in 1991. These are not uncomplicated topics. Overall, the longing for freedom, independence, and self-expression in the Slovene language are all recurring themes in Slovenian history, folklore, literature, art, and politics. And for the purpose of this podcast, I obviously can't get into the weeds on all of this, lest the podcast be three days long. We're already pushing it with two parts. However, even just recycling, we can glimpse some of these themes, their complications and implications for the present. In terms of cycling, Ljubljana is a cycling city. may not be Amsterdam, but it's by far the closest thing you can find in this part of the world. The cycling culture is rich, and it goes back as long as cycling cultures in other European countries do, back to the invention of the bicycle itself in the late 19th century. There is robust bike infrastructure fanning out into the suburbs, a plentiful and convenient bike share system, which I quite enjoy, and many of the streets in the city center are completely free of cars. Outside of cafes, you see old beater bikes and city bikes chained up to everything imaginable. A lot of them are older than Slovenia, the independent state itself, and many come from the Rug Bicycle Factory, which produced most of the country's bikes during the Yugoslav period. And then after the Yugoslav period, when the factory was abandoned, it was taken over by a bunch of anarchists who ran basically like an art collective there, all the way up from the early 2000s through the pandemic when the city council finally closed in on them. It took them quite a long time. Uh, and you can still see graffiti all over the city about the the need to liberate the rog squat, as it was called. My point is that cycling is not a new phenomenon whatsoever in Slovenia, nor is bike racing. Levels are good. Cool. To learn more about Ljubljana's first cycling clubs, oh, I went I to a trendy like... cafe on a side street beside Ljubljana to speak to Mark Kohe. Mark's a Dutch journalist who's lived in Slovenia for 10 years and has worked extensively with Ljubljana's main cycling institution, Katerog, once home to Tadej Bugacar himself. Since 2017, Kohe has been putting together an amazing exhibition at Ljubljana City Hall about the history of cycling in Ljubljana. The exposition features numerous photos, texts in English and Slovenian, and bikes, both Bogacar's and some of the older iterations from Rog's own catalog. Here's Mark Kohe. Yeah, well, the, the first cycling club was founded in 1885. It was a German club, so it was founded by Germans who lived in Ljubljana. And two years later, uh, the Slovenians uh, themselves uh, founded the first club for Slovenians. But cycling started already earlier here, and that was approximately around uh, 1869 uh, when uh, yeah, the first cyclists appeared here in the streets and uh, yeah, uh, caused some troubles, of course, because uh, yeah, as you know, people never rode uh, bikes before. Of course, bikes were new, and uh, suddenly adults uh, <laughs> stepped on these things and uh, they couldn't ride, but they still tried to. So. Uh, there were some accidents and um, 
Yeah. From the exhibition that Mark is talking about, I also learned that a former mayor of Ljubljana, Ivan Tavčar, was once the president of Slovenia's first cycling club. So Slovenian cycling heritage is totally embedded in the city itself. Yeah, and also racing started uh, really early. Uh, I mean, uh, 1887, we had the first race, a uh, small race, only four kilometers. A year later, another race of four kilometers. But um, at the end of the century, for instance, uh, we had some bigger races, like the race uh, Zagreb, Celje, Ljubljana. It was a race of 200 kilometers. And also in the, around that time, there was the race Trieste, Vienna, a race over 500 kilometers. One year it went from Trieste to Vienna, the other year from Vienna to Trieste. And the, one of the editions was won by Joseph Fischer, the, the winner of the first Paris-Roubaix and winner of uh, Bordeaux-Paris. So quite a big name in cycling. Uh, and this race, uh, it, yeah, it, it went through Ljubljana and back then, um, with his, it, it was a race from, from Vienna to, uh, to Trieste, or the other way around. Um, but the big cities on the route, they were like stages so in Ljubljana there was a big reception of all the all the riders of this race and here in Ljubljana they got something to eat and uh, yeah it was a big a big reception for those uh, for those races history however is not enough to get the full experience you need to go to a bike race it's hot for april my friend Giga picks me up outside my hotel, and we drive about half an hour to a small town just outside of Kran called Thurstenik. Village might be a more apt term than town, for the whole settlement is draped over a few hills like a net. In the center, with a pokal Mateja Mohoricha, literally the Mate Mohoric cup, starts is a church following the form of all Slovene churches, simple and pious with a copper spire. On the bank of the road, there are beehives, or rather bee houses. In Slovenia, apiculture is quite popular, and the bee houses are the size of sheds, full of multicolored drawers that are reminiscent of a patchwork quilt. Fortunately for the dozens of small boys and girls, they race together at this age, the bees are well-behaved. Parents line up and picnic along the course, which is overflowing with dandelions, scattering their seeds to the wind. The car announcing the race plays all kinds of music out into the air, alerting motorists to its presence. Journey is mixed with Slovenian pop. It's really quite a combination. It's endearing and inspiring to see so many children, not older than 13 or so, go full gas. I mean, full in the drops, out of the saddle, as they pull across the finish line, just totally launching themselves for like 16th place or something like that. And some of the kids are from small local clubs, some are from the bigger juniors teams like Carerog, Adria, uh, Kolosarsko Club Kran. Others are from as far as Serbia and neighboring Croatia. They are joined by their families who often also bring their bikes, conversing in folding chairs, generally hanging out. The atmosphere is totally casual and fun. The short circuit is just hilly enough for someone to maybe bake free. In fact, a previous iteration of this race is what alerted Andrei Hauptmann to the presence of Tadej Pogacar for the first time, who at 15 had lapped all of the others and was alone. And Andrei thought that the, he was behind, and he was like, oh, someone should help that kid. But uh, it turns out, no, he was ahead of everyone else. That was this race that that anecdote comes from. 
The coaches themselves, they stand at the side of the road, shouting words of encouragement and clapping as the riders pass by. Today, Pogacar's first coach, Miha Concilia of Pogi Team, gives me a few words about how the coaches prepare for a small race like this. And yet, in order to hear more about the race itself, its goals, and its history, we spoke to none other than its organizer, a certain Mete Mohoric. Uh, so uh, we are at, uh, at a small event here in Slovenia, close to Kran. Uh, it's basically, it has been in the past, when I was, uh, when I was a junior racer, it, there was always like uh, this small race here in this town. And uh, recently they, uh, they didn't uh, organize it anymore because they didn't have the funds. So I decided to help with my foundation uh, to basically organize it, but also raise the event to a, to a slightly... Uh, different level uh, I think it needs to be uh, a date where families can come to and have fun together uh, but uh, yeah of course related to cycling so they can enjoy the beautiful uh, the beauty of this sport uh, all together so there is a there is a playground for uh, for the children for the younger and then uh, of course the older siblings uh, they have a proper race on uh, from 12 years old the youngest category in Slovenia is uh, 12 years old for the for the national cup, and uh, yeah, then it's uh, 12, 13, 14 years old, then 15 and 16 together, and then the juniors uh, separated. Uh, we have uh, both uh, boys and girls competing, and I think they're having fun. So uh, they that's look like the whole purpose. Fun. Yeah, and also I think the children are having fun with uh, with uh, all the activities that are going on yeah. at the moment. And there's later on also going to be food and drinks for everyone. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm also thankful to the to the sponsors, uh, the supermarket chain Mercator and uh, Fructal, and all the others uh, who also contributed uh, by donating to the foundation itself and also the event. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a nice day, nice weather. Yeah, we are uh, lucky to have nice weather. So yeah, we're all enjoying each other. Yeah, it's beautiful, and it's beautiful out here. Yeah, it's also a beautiful area. Uh, I think uh, yeah, it's uh, the the perfect place for a, for a cyclist to, to grow up in so I think uh, maybe there is going to be more future champions coming from this area for sure yeah that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about because I wanted to talk to you first about the foundation because when I last spoke to you you were in the middle of finalizing that but now it's here so I was wondering yeah. if you could tell me a little bit more about that uh, yes it's basically helping uh, children and the, the young uh, cyclists in need so the ones that come from uh, families that can't necessarily afford all the equipment needed for cycling. It also helps uh, the national team of Slovenia, the juniors, so they have the best possible uh, support they need to actually already perform at the level to be able to turn professional later on. Uh, and then it helps also the small children by organizing these events that promote the sport of cycling in general. So they might see the older kids uh, racing and they might like it and they might try it later on and if they like it they might succeed and also the separate uh, part of foundation also helps uh, uh, the handicapped children uh, we bought some uh, some bikes for them uh, like the, the special bikes that are built for for those children and uh, all different kinds of uh, kinds of stuff so uh, yeah we're uh, it's a work in progress we'll keep evolving and I like I think it's good to give something back to the community where I grew up that I grew up in uh, so yes I'm more than happy to help I had the great support 
um, myself when I was a junior. So I think it should be the same for, for everyone else. Because now, nowadays, it's uh, like the professional sport is evolving a lot and a lot of money goes into it. And uh, it's getting bigger and bigger year by year. But uh, the local communities are struggling if there is no people that really invest their time and uh, and, uh, and willpower into the events and organizing the events and uh, bringing people together and uh, yeah, all that sort of stuff, it, it struggles, you know, because uh, big companies, they, they don't necessarily want to sponsor the local events, they would rather go big. And uh, yeah, we, that, this is where we can step in and help. That's amazing, yeah. And actually, last time we talked, this is actually something that I've been trying to do research on, when we talked, you, you spoke a little bit about like sport in the former Yugoslavia. Yeah, it was different. Yeah, yeah. it was more uh, locally oriented. Mm -hmm. That's why also we didn't have a Tour de France winner in the past in mm -hmm. Slovenia. I, I think because nobody competed in the Tour. It was all local. But the races here locally were, were super big. Uh, lots of people attended, lots of people came, came to cheer. Uh, the champions were like, uh, how you say? Uh, Everybody looked up to them, you know. They were like uh, local stars, mm -hmm. but proper ones. Yeah. Like we are now on a global scale, yeah. but was the same, but on, then on the local scale. And all the local companies that worked, were, were successful. They sponsored the local events also on the elite level, so adults, you know. Mm -hmm. So they were professionals, but in a different way. They didn't compete in the Tour de France. They competed, com competed in the local, local races, races, but they were on a super high level. Even I still remember it when I was young and I was not in Yugos I was not born in Yugoslavia, I was born in Slovenia and it was still going, you know, mm -hmm. it still had momentum from before. Like financially? Like financially and uh, tradi like with the tradition it carried on but then slowly and gradually it stopped because companies stopped sponsoring it and nowadays all the companies they sell more or less on a global level, you know, you can't, if, you, if you're a company and you just sell your products in Slovenia, you're probably not going to be very successful, you know. And uh, yeah, this is a part of the of how the society, of the direction the society is moving towards. And uh, this is this is it. But I think locally there is still many many people that are uh, acknowledge this fact and they are working and putting energy into like uh, changing the direction ever so slightly so that these events don't don't necessarily die and they still go on and it's just as good as it was before. Mohoric touches on a really important point. These little races, even though there's a bouncy castle standing behind him as we speak, are very important for the continuation of the sport as a whole in this country. And that continuation is necessary because in the past, everything was provided for as part of the socialist system. That infrastructure lingered just long enough to push the current generation of stars to where they needed to be to succeed. We'll get to that part of the story in the next installment of the podcast, which deals with the present and the future. But in order to best understand how the best cyclists in the world came to be such, it's time, perhaps, for a little bit of Yugo nostalgia. So then we move into the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, the 70s was a bit of a, a transitional period, I think, for uh, Slovenian cycling. There was, there were a few good riders. Uh, they were still competing on an international level, international uh, amateur level. They were not as good as the generation of the 60s, but still some good riders. And then if we go to the 80s, then there were again some really good riders, and we had then the first riders who became professional. Uh, 
because the rules were relaxed a bit here in Yugoslavia, so it was possible for some riders to become professional. They still needed uh, permission of the of the authorities to become professional, but um, for some it was granted. And uh, in 1983, uh, there was one rider that also came from uh, Cycling Club Rock, Finko uh, Poloncic, and uh, he became the first Slovenian uh, professional rider. Uh, uh, it was his own initiative, it was his own dream, he really wanted to become professional, so uh, he arranged it himself. Uh, he, um, he went to the director of the Italian uh, cycling um, team, uh, Mark Vorbatecchia, um, to ask if he can, could become professional. He was invited for a talk there at the office. Uh, he told him there about his uh, results at the Olympics, where he was uh, eight at the team time trial. Uh, they weren't really impressed uh, about that, um, but he also won a race in uh, in Italy once, uh, which uh, the the director of uh, Malfo Bertecchia immediately checked by phone. Uh, it was confirmed uh, the result, and uh, Polonchis uh, was accepted to the team and became the first uh, professional rider. Uh, in 1983. And he opened the door for that generation. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, but not that it was still easy. I mean, the next professional was Primoz Cherin, and uh, he st still had some problems uh, becoming professional. Uh, first, he wasn't allowed uh, to become professional. Uh, then he got permission to ride for an Italian amateur team for one year. And after this one year, he was finally... Uh, he finally got permission to uh, to go abroad and become professional, uh, and he also um, became uh, he also uh, was accepted by uh, Malfoy Patekia, also the same team as uh, Polonchitz. Once you get into the '90s, Slovenia becomes independent, and then they enter the. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of change, of course. Uh, Slovenia becomes a country. Uh, uh, the free market economy um, so the for the cycling club uh, the ties are cut with the factory the club becomes also independent uh, so they're suddenly dependent on sponsors um, and somehow they manage uh, that also uh, they find their sponsors and um, the team is not the club team the club amateur team anymore but slowly becomes a semi-professional and um, yeah, the best riders of the team uh, they, uh, they also become professionals uh, and back in the 90s some good riders are Martin Vastia um, who, um, who will go to Italian teams and uh, Andre Hauptmann, uh, the first Slovenian to, um, uh, to get podium spot at the World Championships and uh, also uh, the first Slovenian that has a good uh, Olympic result. Uh. Yeah, and then also, a big moment for Slovenian cycling was in 1994 when the Giro came through Kran and it sort of like publicized the, the country more to the cycling world. Yeah, yeah, it was of course the, the, yeah. the Giro had been before already once in, uh, in Slovenia, but long, long time ago. I thought it was in the 20s, but yeah, 1994, of course, it was uh, yeah, the, the first time that it was in Slovenia, while Slovenia was an independent country, so it was much bigger and uh, yeah, it was a big thing, of course, and it was also the first time that there were Slovenian riders there. Uh, yeah. 
and then we get into sort of the modern era of, of cycling. So guys like Halpman, they retired and then they came back to... Yeah, Halpman retired in 2008 and uh, after his retirement he became a trainer coach at, uh, at Rock. And, uh, Bastia retired and he became a national coach of the, he's now national coach of under 23 riders. All these guys stayed involved in, in cycling and uh, yeah, they uh, take care of the next generations. For instance, Hauptmann and Vasya both coached uh, Pogacar. So we can dispel of this notion forever that the Slovenians came out of nowhere in cycling. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, they didn't come out of nowhere. We just didn't see them. Yeah. That's, yeah. Their history is just as long as most places in Western Europe. Yeah, yeah it's comparable to uh, cycling history in Western Europe. Well, yeah, Slovenia is a smaller country, so it's a bit smaller scale. But it's still uh, there is a long cycling history, and it's uh, continuously also. Shoot, shoot down the cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, which is online therapy, which might be something you're considering if you're going through a tough time, because life can be overwhelming, even when things are going relatively smoothly, and many people find that they're burned out. Certainly in my experience, burnout can creep up without you really realising it, and symptoms include a lack of motivation for things that usually get you fired up, or a sense of helplessness, or feeling trapped or detached, or just mentally fatigued with the, the grind of everyday life. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, and certainly over the years I've found that talking to somebody, and specifically somebody detached from the ins and outs of my everyday life, so not a family member or a friend, can be beneficial. But you might not want to go and sit in a room with a therapist. Online therapy might be something that you want to consider. And BetterHelp is customised online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with a therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. The Cycling Podcast listeners can get 10% off the first month at betterhelp.com slash cycle. That's betterhelp.com slash cycle. So if you're going through a difficult time or just feeling burned out at the moment, online therapy might be something you want to consider. It wasn't until the 80s and the 90s that things started to open up, or so journalist and commentator Tomasz Koszka of Radio Television Slovenia tells me. The Slovenian cycling didn't start in, in, in early 90s. Slovenian cycling has a long tradition. I mean, you know, the first Slovenian cyclist at Tour de France was uh, Abulnar in, in, in 30s, 1930s, I think, or even earlier. So we have tradition, and but then during the the Yugoslavia era, Yugoslav era, uh, we didn't have a, a professional cyclist because it was forbidden to go outside uh, until you were, I don't know, 30 or 28 years old. Then you can go outside of Yugoslavia as a sportsman. Uh, in the end of the 80s, we have uh, then first profi riders. Uh, the first was uh, uh, Vinko Polončić, then was Jure Paulić. Jure Paulić was the first Slovenian cyclist who won the, the jersey on Giro. He won the, the blue jersey for Inter Giro in the 80s. Then came Walter Boncha, also he rode Giro. 
and Primoz Cerin on tour. Yes, and then was a little pause, and then uh, the when in '94 the Giro d'Italia came into Slovenia. Uh, the organizers also established the Slovenian profit team, Cantina Tolo. I don't know if you remember that team, and that that team was a really push for Slovenian Slovenian cycling because uh, four or five, I don't remember exactly, guys went to to you know to that team from Slovenia and abroad, and then everything started to grow and and, and develop developing. Yeah, and then came. Uh, yeah, Brajkovic, Valjavec, Tadej Valjavec was also uh, a ninth on the Tour de France, yes, and then Brajkovic. And steady, steady, then we got the first uh, first Pro Tour win with. Um, uh, he's called, I don't remember now. But then. Uh, uh, Božić uh, won the stage at Vuelta, and yes, then uh, Roglic and, and uh, everything came up. So uh, it's it's not just you know uh, just uh, cycling in Slovenia is not new. No, yeah, it's it's it had its tradition, but now it's on the top, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because the the continental teams, right? Like Adria, yeah. Kaderog. Savakran, like Savakran was like formed in the 1950s. Yeah, it's been, yeah. these teams have been around yeah, for a while, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was mostly local cycling during Yugoslavia. Like yes, because no, they 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 race amateur uh, races like uh, race of peace, uh, peace race, yeah. race uh, then ba- Balkan championships. Uh, you know, because they they uh, they. Don't, didn't have uh, professional licenses, so they were amateur. Because, as I said, it was forbidden to be professional sportsmen in Yugoslavia. So they were just on amateur level. So. And there was like a tour of Yugoslavia, right? Yes, and then Alpe Adria, and then from Alpe Adria, tour uh, developed the tour of Slovenia. This was confirmed by one of the writers from the 90s, who is now also a cycling commentator working with TV. Uh, he covers most of the big races in Slovenia. He's kind of like the Rob Hatch of Slovenia, uh, Martin Hrasia. And Hrasia signed with the Italian team Cantino Tolo, which was one of the first ever teams to take Slovenian riders to the highest sort of echelons of cycling. My father was also a cyclist. Later he, he, he became also, he, he also do other sports, uh, biathlon, cross-country skiing with uh, shooting. Mm-hmm. And then he was also a triathlete, so I, I also tried different sports when I was young. And I, I, I also practiced them as a complementary sports when I was young. So uh, when I became professional, I was already 25 years old. There was a chance because it was a new Italian Slovenian uh, professional team. And I, what uh, team was, was that? Uh, Cantina Tolo in the middle of the 90s. I was national, uh, yeah, national champion that year, so I get the opportunity. My best professional, and well, then I spent nine years with different Italian teams. Uh, the whole my career, I was, uh, I was, I, I raced with the Italian teams. 
and uh, that was it. Uh, I, I ended my career in 2004 was the last year in Italy. Then I also raced 2005 with a small Slovenian team, Telekina Pturi, which was at that time the continental team. And then I stopped and I immediately started to uh, work like a sports director and also the national technical commissar in 2006. And uh, I was national technical commissar for all, all I mean, for elite and uh, under 23 for, uh, well, I must think, <laughs> eight years. <laughs> and then uh, I stopped with the elite and I'm still doing the under 23, the development, and then uh, what? the other functions of the National Federation. What was it like Slovenian cycling when you were coming up as a cyclist? Well, it was uh, not very uh, recognized sport in Slovenia at that time, of course. Um, but we have a long history of these sports too, because, uh, uh, for example, uh, one Slovenian guy did Tour de France already before the Second World War. I mean, still Yugoslavia, but well, I mean, uh, it was not a very developed sport. So uh, later, um, when the um, at the beginning of the at the end of the eighties, uh, when the things were a little bit uh, a bit more open, uh, the best Slovenian uh, riders start to, uh, to 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 follow the, the start to race like professionals. Uh, the first of Slovenia was Vinko Poloncic, uh, who is still alive and still in the sport, uh, even if he's half Croatian, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Then was uh, Primoz Cerin, uh, he was also at that time uh, the best Slovenian uh, cyclist, and Jure Pavlic, those were before me, and then almost together me and uh, and Walter Boncha who stopped after two or three years so I was the only one who, who managed to <laughs> to, to, to uh, have a let's say long career I was 36 when I stopped so uh, I think it was enough <laughs> and then of course uh, well, the sport was uh, developed as we as we uh, started to, to do all the big races and then uh, all the experience which we brought uh, back to Slovenia, we start to uh, really uh, doing uh, great steps, I think. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks to Science in Sport for their continuing support of everything we do here at the Cycling Podcast, from the Grand Tours to episodes about Slovenia. Hello, I'm Tom Wally off of Service Course and uh, also a producer at the Cycling Podcast. I've just stepped in from behind the proverbial glass uh, to tell you that you can get 25% off your next order with Science in Sport, which is something I'm going to do as soon as I've finished recording this message because I finished the last of my apple flavoured gels, which are an essential for getting me through some vigorous workouts on my turbo um, if you want to get 25% off your next order with science in sport and why not just use the offer code SISCP25 so just go to scienceinsport.com and enter that offer code SISCP25 and so back when you were cycling 
was it mostly local races, things like that, or was it more sort of on the with Italy or in the international? Scale? Yeah, well, we were lucky because we we have quite long border with Italy, no? so and 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 already at the in the eighties the the border was quite open, so we could race there and we learn everything from from Italians, I think, well, at least <laughs> the most. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, of course, uh, in Slovenia we had uh, our own races. Uh, Tour of Yugoslavia was at the moment the biggest race, but it was not exactly a Slovenian race. It was the, uh, uh, well, our, our, our own race was um, at that time uh, Alpradia race, which later developed uh, into the Tour of Slovenia. Uh, and uh, Alpadre race was already international race because we also we, we, every year we did uh, part of Austria and Italy, and uh, that was our first international experience uh, for the Slovenian cyclists. Uh, yeah. What were the teams like back then? Because um, I know, for example, like Sava Kran was founded mm-hmm. in like the 1950s, Kadirog and Adria in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like those teams, by the time you were racing, were well developed, right? Like, what were they like then compared to now? Yeah, well, at that time we had three strong teams already. Mm-hmm. Also, Rok Ljubljana, which was now uh, uh, still, still, still the strong, I think the strongest team last year was Adria, but yeah, I mean, three three teams were, were ruling the Slovenian cycling. And, uh, so, so Sava Kran. Yeah, Sava Adria, which was before Kirka, the other sponsor, but Rok Ljubljana, which is now Pogi team and, and uh, Ljubljana Gusto, also BTC Slovenia, the women's team. Mm-hmm. It's uh, from from exactly from Ljubljana now they are on the like other side. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, already my father raced for that team and of course me too. Uh, at, the, at the end of the 70s and the beginning of the 80s, those were professional teams. If, if I look back now terms of uh, nowadays sports it was professional teams because they, we were all employed in the in the big factories but we didn't work we just went to the training and the races yeah maybe uh, uh, during the winter one week just to <laughs> <laughs> see what is the real life in the in the, <laughs> in the factory or in the fabric but yeah i mean uh, we're professionals i managed also to do some studies between but uh, yeah mostly we were uh, we, we we get the payment and we, we were we trained and raced at that time so it was not so bad i mean we we were quite uh, capable to develop our talents and i guess now the funding system is totally different after yeah, the end of yugoslavia yeah, yeah it's, everything changed at worst of course <laughs> i mean in, uh, in terms of the uh, social state and everything, uh, but yeah, I think the the main problem now is the negative selection because you have to have money if you want to 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 do cycling. Uh, maybe other sports, some other sports are even even more expensive, but also the cycling. Well, you have to start somewhere, no? or uh, to buy all the equipment and uh, everything. It costs. No? So um, at the end. Uh, I hope it will not uh, influence in the long term. However, as others in this podcast have mentioned before, by the late or like late 90s, early 2000s, the first decade after Slovenia adopted capitalism and more importantly, the Western sponsorship model, 
things started to really fray financially. Um, to talk about that, I went to go see ex-Astana writer and Dauphiné winner Yanni Brakovich, who came up in that new system, and he paints a pretty vivid picture of what it was like then over some coffee we have at a McDonald's on the outskirts of the city okay. at his insistence. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to start with uh, asking you, like, where where in Slovenia you're from, what it's like there. Well, I'm, I'm from the southeastern part, like right on the border, mm-hmm. but now I live in, in Novomesto, which is... 30 minutes um, away, mm-hmm. so it's it's from southeastern part towards the center of Slovenia. It, it's still like southeast. Yeah. Um, it's a bigger city. Um, but yeah, it's it's the thing I I didn't like or I don't like about that part is there's no big mountains yeah. like. The, the longest climb you have is like 16 minutes and there's not many routes that you can train on so it gets boring that's why that's why like in the past i would i would do these training camps throughout the year like i was probably like in total with racing more than 200 250 days i was out of slovenia yeah and when I was in Slovenia, a lot of the times I would I would be in in the mountains, so mm-hmm. in the north western part, because mm-hmm. training is just so much better yeah. there. Yeah. And then, so like I know you started cycling relatively late right. in life. Yeah. Um, you were like what seventeen? Is that right? Or... I was seventeen. Yeah. And so, yeah. how did you start cycling? How did you you know? Mm. So I had this friend, my schoolmate, who who was racing, and then one day, I uh, he gave me to try his road bike, and I loved it. So that summer, I worked. It was like two months almost in a factory. The thing was, I would start at six on my day one. I started at 6, came back home at 2, and I was so tired that I slept from 2 until 5.30 the next morning, Mm -hmm. and that was going on for like 10, 14 days, Mm -hmm. and then it got better, but I was really tired, and then after those two months, I bought a bike, and um, I was already racing back then, but it was not it was not serious mm-hmm. um, from that point on it got pretty serious and um, yeah I rode a lot that summer uh, like all my friends went to vacations my parents went to vacation I stayed at home and I did and that's I, I do not recommend that because it's stupid I was doing I was doing 1200 kilometers a week for two months that's nuts that was like my easy day was probably like two to three hours easy riding but in total weekly i was doing still 1200 kilometers and i was 17 Mm -hmm. yeah and then that fall i was just so much better than 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 three months previously and 
I was competitive. I still didn't have any any technique or I didn't know how to ride in a group or how to race, but I was strong enough to be competitive. I almost made it to the... Um, I almost did world championships in Portugal, I think it was. And, and from that point on, it just went up and up. What year was that? What, uh, that... that was 2001. 2001 and then 2002 I was under 23 still going to school and it was tough because like there was no time to train and, and like doing two three hours a day it was more two hours a day maybe 14 hours a week you cannot be competitive and, and all things, things considered I was still very underdeveloped mm-hmm. like when I started racing at 17, I was 36 kilos and 1 meter 50. Wow. So I was by far the smallest and the tiniest yeah. in the group. Yeah, but with time, I got better. It was like cramming for a test almost, doing all those kilometers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And at that point, did you know you wanted to be, you wanted to be a professional? Oh, yeah, immediately, yeah. like immediately. At that time, we had, I think we had two, maybe three professionals. So one was Khavastia, uh, the other one was Stangal, who is Bahrain now. Yeah. Bahrain now. And then there was another one, Klemencic, who was a sprinter. I wasn't really interested in sprinting because I wasn't a sprinter. Um, and those were my idols. Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally different era of, of Slovenian oh, yeah, cycling. It was, it was different. It was different. And so when you started racing, you were at Adria, is that right? I was, yeah, back then. Yeah, it was before Adria, it was called Kirka Telecom. Yeah, but that team, well, there was some shady business going on and, and it fell apart. So Adria came in. And the team was called Adria Mobile. And I started with Adria Mobile. Um, that was in 2003, 2002 or 2003, we didn't have bikes like three days before the race we got bikes and we got Bianchi's those were like low-end uh, Bianchi's <laughs> um, but it it worked I did Tour of Slovenia I didn't finish it uh, it was way too hard for me uh, yeah who was at Adria at that time you mean riders? Yeah, and then who was in charge of the team? At the in team? charge, it was... Well, he's still in charge, Bogdan Fink. Oh, yeah, okay. He's still in charge. He's still um, director of the team. Um, the, let me think. I'm not sure. In 2003, Milan Ergen mm-hmm. was... was He was a coach, sports director. He was everything. Mm-hmm. 
um, and even though I don't agree with everything he does and the, the way he does it mm-hmm. we had everything we needed to perform mm-hmm. um, and that was a good thing there was there was like everything was strict there was order we trained together we raced together yeah there was a lot of yelling and 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 uncomfortable events but we performed yeah and like at that time the i'm quite interested actually in in sort of the funding structures of cycling and how they changed when you know yugoslavia became slovenia and so i know there was lots of infrastructure lots of like there's more money in cycling and then as the country changed and became independent that money kind of trickled away there was never money (laughs) in Slovenia there there was never money I'm back in Ljubljana it's late and the streets are as empty as Kosovo painted them back in the 1920s restless and unable to sleep I check out one of the bikes from the bike share and ride around. Through the lindens and the gently cobbled side streets, past the Republic Square, the ground zero for every protest the city has seen in the last two centuries, the brutalist towers displaying the time in bold digital numbers. I ride up through Tivoli Park, where people sit and have hushed conversations, up through the Shishka suburb with its tall, stately towers. At the mall, I circle back around and come back to the hotel, undisturbed, unbothered, anonymous, as though nothing had ever happened at all. In the morning, I have a very important assignment, which is why I can't sleep. And that assignment's name is Primoz Roglic, the assignment responsible for my very being here in this country at all, or even being a cycling writer. We all know that story. But that's tomorrow. Right now, Viviana is asleep. Instead of the clinking of billiard balls, it's the jangling of keys in the door. It's the soft scratch of pen on paper. The quiet, muffled sound of bells somewhere off near the highway. Until next time, this is Kate Wagner for The Cycling Podcast. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Byrne. 